0: Well, welcome back. My name is Pastor Milo. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, Pastor Mario here, uh, Pastor Brian here, and uh, Pastor Mario, it's good to see in previous weeks, uh, because we pre-recorded it, you always had to make sure that you put on the same shirt so it looked real (laughs) in real life. So this is real, folks. This is real live. It's really happening right now. Thank you so much for joining us online. Uh, We've got a few people in the room. Thanks for being here uh, with us this morning. Uh, We asked a goofy question this morning to get started. It said, uh, what have you been doing for 50 years the same way? And immediately, even people in this room, some of you are uh, with us online and in person, uh, corrected us to say it hasn't been 50 years. So to to be honest, we didn't fact check that at all. I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea how long we've been doing our service time this way. Uh, But you made it. You're here. So thank you so much for being here. But those of you who are in the room, uh, thanks for being here as well. Uh, Get out your Bibles, if you will. We're in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 4. And uh, this morning's sermon has got the title, One for All and All for One. If any of you are Disney movie buffs anyway, uh, you should know that that comes from a movie and and even before that, a play called The Three Musketeers. And so uh, the three of us up here have been noted as we're doing our sermons uh, from these tables, this table talk. Uh, we have been called the Three Musketeers a couple of times, other times the Three Stooges. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we want to talk about that a little bit this morning because I think it's a good uh, kind of analogy for some of the things uh, that we're going to talk about. But uh, before I get started with that, just to tell you kind of a silly story, I went yesterday out to the family farm, and I was reminded uh, my son Elias was with us, and and uh, the thing that he wanted to he said, Dad, we're here at the farm. What are we going to build today? And uh, that just makes a dad happy because that's just like, that's what going to the farm is. And so one of the things that we used to build there on the family farm, and for the kids out there, for Elias, pay attention, take notes, is to make yourself a good Three Musketeers type of sword. So it's very important that you take down these very specific directions that I'm giving you. You need a, a half inch, excuse me, yes, a half inch piece of PVC, uh, and you need it about three feet long. Uh, and then you need your mom to give you a butter dish uh, I can't believe it's not butter. Is probably the ideal butter dish. And then you cut a hole in the bottom of that. You stick it in on the pipe. And then you get gray or silver, if you really have the nice stuff, duct tape and wrap the whole thing together. And then now you've got a sword that you can whack your cousins with without getting your knuckles beat up because you have the little thing in there. Isn't that, isn't
1: that fantastic? The, the mothers out there are thanking you so much right. for yes. these ideas yes. that you're placing in yeah. kids. So So uh,
0: that, that was a highlight for That's, me.
2: You're going to
0: get a lot of emails for that. Emails for that? Well, so it started out for us with the three musketeers, and then it grew into, you talked about this movie the other day, The yeah. Princess Bride. It grew into that, good sword fighting in that, and then later uh, the Mask of Zorro, which is a favorite of mine. And my wife, Erin, who's here this morning, has slept through the movie every single time we've tried to watch it together. Uh, I love you, babe, but you got to watch this movie. It's fantastic. Anyway, not what we're talking about. One for all, and all for one, is the title of the sermon today. Uh, because ultimately, we, we knew that we were going to be in this, in this book of Acts, and we've spent some time together. And you, many of you, again, you in the room, uh, you know we've been in the sermon series. If you look at that title slide for ten weeks, uh, that the unity of the church... Is, is something that is going to be taught and, and talked about here this week. And so keep one finger, if you will, in Acts 4. You can look on the slides as we put it here. I want to read for you as an opening here, Psalm 133, and make this statement. A one for all, for, all for one is the sermon title, but here's the first point. We are one. Psalm 133, we are one. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in what? In unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on... Aaron's beard down on the collar of his robe, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. And so I want to start with this passage because this is a great passage talking about unity in the way that it's put forward in the Old Testament. The psalmist David is talking about the beauty of unity. And so we biblical unity is always about the family of God. And of course, as you know, when you pour oil over your head, gentlemen, with, with a beard, it all gets in your beard. I don't understand exactly what's going on here. No, It has to do with the anointing of Aaron. And similarly, we're going to see in the book of Acts that, that Jesus Christ is talked about as the anointed one. But we are one in biblical unity. And when we look at Scripture, we're going to see biblical unity throughout the entirety of Scripture. From the creation in Genesis to uh, the return of Jesus in Revelation, you're going to see the unity of the family of God. We've been created for unity. We have been created to live in community just like God himself lives in community. And then this idea of the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion, the idea there, the, the illustration, it says it is as if, or it's an illustration that's being given there. On the Mount of Hermon, there's, on the other side of the mountain, there, there isn't a lot of rain, but actually dew. It was very thick dew there that everything would grow. These luscious gardens would grow and that type of thing. And, and the eternal blessing, it talks about there, the, the Lord bestows His blessing even life evermore. When the unity is played out Uh, in his people. We were just recently in the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians, we looked at this spring, we talked about unity is played out best in humility. And uh, like-mindedness is how we see that in the book of Philippians. Uh, We see unity throughout Scripture is always positive when it's with God's people, the family of God, but there are examples of negative unity. Uh, We see uh, at the Tower of Babel, where people gathered together, they were all unified, but they were unified for different reason. We see Korah's rebellion in the days of Moses, where he rose up and brought people to rebel against Moses. So there was unity, but it was not biblical unity based on and bestowed on God and the family of God. And so what we're going to do today is look through that lens. We're going to look in the New Testament here, as I said, in the book of Acts chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles there, we're in Acts chapter 4, reading from the New International Version today. I want to make this statement. We are one, as Psalm 133 is showing us, but then let's make this. We are one for all. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. One for all. Pastor Brian, why don't you pick it up there? Would you begin reading in verse 32 for us?
1: Yeah, let's do that. Right at the beginning here, 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that there was no needy person among them. And from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had a need and so we're getting a description here of uh, a kind of an ideal sense of what the church looks like when they are sharing possessions and they're doing the things that really point to who jesus is we've actually seen if this sounds familiar we've actually seen a description of this just a few chapters earlier at the end of chapter two we get another description of the church in which uh people are sharing possessions they're meeting together they're uh they're all of one heart, one mind. And what's really going on here is Luke is using two different uh, imagery, uh, images here in order to communicate the same thing. So in Acts chapter two, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the temple and how the temple was meant, in those days, a temple was meant to point towards who the God that lived in that temple was all about. So down to its structure, its rituals, its routines, all the things were meant to uh, point people to when they came into the temple, They would walk in and they would know what this God was all about based on all of these different things. And so, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, when God moves out of his old house, the temple, and moves into his new house, which is us, the church, we now begin doing rituals and routines and practices and actions that are going to point people to Jesus, very similar to what the temple was doing. So, at the uh, Acts 2 happens, right? God moves out into his people, and then we get a description at the end of chapter 2 of how this plays out uh, in their, uh, in their uh, work and in their focus. If you remember, we talked about they committed to one another because God is committed to us. We talked about they were present with each other because God is present with us. We talked about they were generous then with uh, one another because God is ultimately generous uh, to us, giving the ultimate gift, uh, his son and Jesus, who gives his life for all of us. And so in generosity, we can tell a story to the world of who jesus is when we're generous we can then give uh, it gives us uh, the place to be able to show others this is what god is like he is so generous to us that he gave his only son uh for us this is what that testifying to the resurrection of the lord jesus christ is all about they're doing the things tangibly to reveal a spirit bigger spiritual truth of what god has done For each of us. And so now, here in uh, chapter 4, we get another description, and Luke is going to use another type of imagery. So, when it says right in verse 32 at the beginning, all the believers, that's actually one word in the Greek, it's the word playthos. And what it means is a fellowship with a special sense towards the civic. Uh, in the Greek mind, this word in that day meant more of a civic kind of gathering, a civic kind of fellowship. It'd be something like if we said a nation, a kingdom, uh, or, or a country, uh, so to speak. So when you read that word, uh, people back then would read that and go, oh, they're you're talking about sort of a society. And we know this to be true in the New Testament. The New Testament uses these, this language We are a nation, we are a people, we are a kingdom. Of God, And so the idea here is that when we are living together as a society, when our society is pointing towards Jesus, the societal rhythms and practices are going to mirror the character of God, mirror the character of the one who does it. And I think particularly right now in our society, right? A society that is fractured, mm. a society that's divided, it's antagonistic, it's unjust. Uh, the wealth gap gets bigger and bigger uh, our hope and the hope for the world is not to look to a president or a candidate or a governor the hope is to look to the king hmm. to look to the the society that king is building and when a person can tangibly see uh, generosity making sure nobody's in need gathering together they go I want what they've got what, what what's different about what they're doing because I look around at the other societies of this world and Quite frankly, I'm fatigued by it. I'm fatigued by trying to do this dividing and division that we're seeing in our world. What if there was a beacon somewhere of a society that didn't look like that, that looked in the exact opposite way? That's what we're reading here in Acts 4, and that's what we're called to do as a church even even today.
0: That's good, Brian. Yeah, so you got this one Jesus, one Jesus Christ, testifying that he is for all. And and if you remember, again, in the first a couple of chapters when we see the Holy Spirit move at Pentecost. It was not just moving, you know, for a few people. It was, not, it, it was for all people, all races, and there's all the different generations that are listed there, all the different uh, ethnicities that are listed there. Uh, Jew and Gentiles, you're going to see this argument going back and forth throughout it. Uh, we got one Jesus Christ for all. Let's continue on, though, and we want to be able to say one for all. Secondly, all for one. All for one, beginning in verse 36. I just saw the comment come across on the Facebook. Uh, They said, yeah, everyone's unified except for, uh, yeah, we'll get there. We know they're they're coming, chapter (laughs) 5, we're going to get there. Uh, So verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So this is the positive example. Let's go on. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Here it is. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart so that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but you have lied to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. I'm going to stop there, but if you continue on, the story basically replays itself, beginning in verse 6 and going through verse 11, where his wife Sapphira comes in and the exact same scenario happens, where she was in on it too, and she tells the same story, and it finishes with that same statement that great fear seized all who heard this. Let me close up our Bibles and we go home. Scared. Scared <laughs> and terrified, right? And. and But if we are going to be all for one, this is the idea of being all in. So so Jesus Christ, the one Jesus Christ, the anointed one that we talk about in the Old Testament, that we talked about last week in Psalm chapter 2, that we see uh, even represented in Psalm 133, we see that Jesus has given all, he he has given himself fully available to everyone, and so in return that we we need to be all in in our response to him for one. Not for everyone, but for one, Jesus Christ himself. Uh, For one, God the Father, the the, the creator of the universe. Uh, So what happens here is you've got uh, the issue is of the heart. Why would you do this in your heart? The Apostle Peter asks. There is a jealous heart here. It it would appear that they saw what Barnabas had done. They saw the response of of how he he had sold the field, brought money, and put it at the apostles' feet. And so they mimicked what he had done, but they did not change their heart. Let me say that again. They mimicked what he had done, they mimicked what he had done, but they did not change their heart. And so they, they, they perhaps uh, went and they, they found out the price that he sold the property for. And they said, I'll, we'll, we'll do something similar. And so they put their house up on Zillow as well, and they sold the house. And then they, they come to, the, and they tell everybody, we, look, we did the exact same thing. But really, uh, verse uh, 1 says he kept back part of the money for himself. He held something back. See, Jesus has given us one for all, for everyone. If we're going to give all for one, we need to understand that we are expected to give it all back. This is the principle of the tithe, ultimately. There's a heart condition here. The principle of the tithe that is seen in the Old Testament is all about the, the point being that God has given us everything that we have, and so we respond by giving back a tithe. Here, they were giving all that they had back. I don't think the requirement was that Ananias and Sapphira had to, to actually sell all that they had and bring it all in. But they had to understand and have this heart issue that it was all God's. And so we do that here. We, we respond uh, with a tithe. That's something that we talk about fairly often. Be able to say this is what God has given us. Everything that we have is His and so we tithe on that. We give a penny back on a dollar. We give $10 out of $100. $100 out of $1,000. $1,000 out of $10,000. <laughs> Don't go anymore. ten
1: thousand. Yeah, <laughs> Those are all numbers
0: that are all hypothetical to me nonetheless. But what's going on here is this, this verse is saying that they held something back. They were looking for man's approval. And also you got to see here the holiness of God. He would not allow this. Don't discount God's holiness and the perfectness of God that he says, this is not going to be tolerated. I'm not going to allow for this. And in that response, we see actually what justice looks like. Right now we hear a lot of times the word justice being thrown around. When it comes down to it, this is God's justice and this is Pure justice is that they were sinful people and they got fully what they deserve. And it is kind of scary. And it is unusual to see this in the New Testament. This is actually the one time, the only time in the New Testament that we see a negative miracle in the New Testament. We kind of see it all the time in the Old Testament. But the New Testament, this is the only time. And the issue here really is, is that the anointed one, the holy one, Jesus Christ, the holiness that they are talking about, Jesus Christ resurrected, they're coming back and they are trying to make a fool of this. And God does not allow it. So if we are going to be one for all, all for one, we want to get some context to this so that you kind of see the bigger picture of what's going on here. So we're going to take you back, turn back a few pages, if you will, to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 and we want to make this point to you this morning so we've said first of all that is all for one and one for all but that the world may know is the point that we want to see here in john chapter 17 the world may know beginning in verse 20 mara would you begin reading there at verse 20 for us
2: my prayer is not for them alone i pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and i am in you May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Well, what we have here, like Pastor Milo said, is is Jesus talking about unity and, and really the source of unity. And this maybe answers the question of why this is so scary when we look at the book of Acts, is Mm -hmm. because when we think of a church uh, gathering, when we think of people in the body of Christ, we think of just uh, the physical aspect of it, right? We're sitting in this room together, we're together as the the church. You're online, you're part of our church today. But Jesus actually is praying that there would be a deeper level, a spiritual level to our unity, Mm. rather than just being in the same room together. It's a connection that, that comes when Jesus says here, it's a connection that's actually tied to the unity that Jesus has with the Father. And, and earlier in the book of John, Jesus uh, talks about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit would come and reveal the truth of the Lord. So really what we have happening here in the book of John as we think of unity is that the unity that we experience as a church, and, and we're talking believers throughout all the centuries mm-hmm. of Christian history, the unity that we have is the unity that comes straight from the example of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, mm-hmm. the Godhead, the unity that they share. We are, um, are part of that, and we should exemplify that. And so when we think about that, you know, how, is, how will the world know that we are Christians? It's because of our unity with one another and that connection that we have with, with the Godhead. And in, in the Bible, this is, this is not just the only place where it's talked about. I mean, just through the book of Acts, as, as we already mentioned, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4 here, chapter 5, and even later on during Paul's missionary journeys, we see that the church comes together. They're united. They help support Paul in his missionary trips. Um, we see later in the book of Philippians, when Paul is in jail, he's, he writes the church and he says, thank you for supporting me. Uh, you know, uh, Paul had to go to jail and pay for it himself. That's how it was in, in the Roman culture. You paid to be in jail. Um, because um, the Roman government wasn't supporting you, yeah. and so what happened is the church united and actually brought uh, supported him while he was in prison, and he thanked them for that. Mm-hmm. And and what's what's the cool thing about it when we think about being united? The, the closest example we have here on the earth is is we can think of our family relationships, right? That what's the slogan we have? blood is thicker than, uh, than, uh, than water, right? Yeah, like yeah. Family is more important than anything. And, and in a sense that's, that's true, uh, particularly in, in the New Testament. We saw that uh, in, in the culture of, of the Roman culture and in, in Mediterranean culture that family was important. And we see this language all over the Bible. Mm-hmm. Right? First of all, we have God the Father. And then we have, uh, we, we refer all the time to brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, Paul says that all the time. So we have this family language, this unity, uh, of being together. And um, you know, I, I, I guess from my own example in my family, um, I always think of, of Denise and, and, and the fact that um, she's got a father, she's got a stepfather, she has a sister, she has a brother and she has a stepsister. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, she doesn't walk around and say, this is my stepfather, this is my stepsister. No, this is just my father, this mm-hmm. is my sister, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, it's a deeper level than just the title. It it's, means something important to her. And you may be in a similar situation like that where you have a family like that. You don't call them, you don't introduce them every time as your stepsister. It's your sister. It's your brother. Hmm. And, um, and that's, that's how God wants us to be united. As a family, as the body of Christ, as a church, united uh, for his glory. And as Jesus said here, that the world may know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so Jesus has praised this prayer. Uh, the, the night before, he's going to be mm-hmm. uh, accused of awful things, right? He's right. going to be sent uh, to a cross. Uh, and as he's doing that, that, this unity that is being spoken of here that he is praying about, he's, he's praying for something he's calling complete unity. Because uh, we can be unified for a few minutes. So we can root for the football team as long as they're winning, but then maybe we'll root for a different team when they start winning. No, he's talking about complete unity, that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Let's continue on, so that the world may know, here's the next fill-in for you, his only son, that the world may know His only son. So if you're there, John 17, let's continue on. What happens now in John 18? And when he had finished praying, Jesus left his disciples. He crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials and some chief priests and some Pharisees. They were all carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Again he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. His only son. We look at this passage, first of all, because there's a great fight scene here. Like You talk about uh, the, the three musketeers. This is incredible. They, like, like they come, they're coming with pitchforks at night and they're coming after him. They're coming to get him. And when they come and they surround him and they, and they pinpoint who it is and they say, who is it that you want? And he answers and he says, Jesus of Nazareth. That's why in the book of Acts we're seeing very specific language that says Jesus of Nazareth because who is his only son? Son, it is Jesus of Nazareth. And when he speaks these words, what happens? But everyone in the circle gets blown back on their backsides. I mean, this this is an incredible fight scene. And he says, "I am He." He doesn't have a weapon. He doesn't have a tool. In fact, Peter, in a few verses later, he pulls out his little knife and tries to fight the enemy. He tries to fight back, and he says, "Stop!" He said, "I'm not going to allow this to happen." He knocks him on their butt, and he says, "Who is it you want again?" And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says it again, I am he. I told you, I am he. The reason why he prayed for unity of the church is so that we may know, so that they may know what? His only son, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. That's why we see his name repeated again and again and again. And check this out. This is why we talk about Psalm 133 at the beginning. It was an illustration, right, of, of, on the backside of the Mount Hermon that there would be uh, the dew flowing down. If you think about this, he is at the, the Mount Olives. And, and when you see there, they come into the Garden of Gethsemane. The, the, the word Gethsemane means oil press, oil flowing down. The idea of, of the anointing of Aaron that is demonstrated in Psalm 133, the anointing of Aaron as, as the priest. You have Jesus who is the ultimate priest and he is his his love is flowing down just like it said in Psalm 133 continuously and forever eternally forevermore it is flowing down they're in this garden this luscious garden demonstrating again the way that he would be able to demonstrate his eternal and forever love flowing out of him and so let's put it all together here all right so this is a statement we're going to make this morning. We are one, one for all and all for one, that the world may know his only son. Yes, I know that it rhymes. Okay, put a little <laughs> bit of time, put a little bit of time into that. Some of you are real excited about that, that wow, he, he put it, he made it rhyme. Some of you are not impressed and that's okay. That's okay. It Maybe it'll help you to remember. We are one. Yes, we are one. We are one for all. So we are sharing Christ for everyone. And so all of us are for Christ. We're giving him our all. For what purpose? That the world may know Jesus. The world may know Jesus, his only son. That's what unity is really looks like. That's the purpose of biblical unity. That's when unity is demonstrated and encouraged in the church, and that's what it looks like on display for all to see Jesus Christ, his only son. Give us a couple of minutes to, to banter some of this back and forth. One of the comments I saw coming across Facebook here is that the old familiar song, and it is one, we are one in the spirit, we are one in the Lord. And it's a, it's a 60s uh, Jesus movement song, but it was during a lot of those protests and things like that, that there was this, we, we're not just going to be unified for the sake of being unified, that we have something that we're uh, working on together, but we're going to be one in the spirit yeah. and that was uh, an important thing then and it's an important thing to hear again now so thanks for for yeah. bringing that one that, up
1: that reminds me uh so when uh when i was you a kid a smirk on your face well when yeah, i was yeah. it just brought me but when i was a kid my brother and i you know like brothers do we'd fight in the back of the car all the time and i'll never forget every time we fought my my dad he'd be driving in the front he would just start singing uh the song and they'll know we are christians by our love and he would just start singing and that's he, it's all he'd do and we hated it because we knew we were not doing what that, you know, and so we'd be like, Dad, stop singing. And he just, they'll know we are Christians. By it. And it, it worked. It was really effective, I remember. Because, yeah, that's the whole idea is that when we're unified, mm. when we're loving each other, the world may know that we are Christians and we represent, we represent Christ. So that, that's just what came through my mind when you, were, when you told that
0: that uh, song story for sure. So other people, if you're taking notes, that's the way to, to dissolve a fight in your family. It worked. It, it was no. successful. It worked, actually, yeah. You talk about your brother, so that's actually a really good example too, right? Is that we don't always agree with one another, right? right? But you two brother like, did you share a room at home? That we did it, thankfully. Thank- we might have tore each other yeah, apart all right. if we had. But at the end of the day, right, so there are things that we disagree mm-hmm. at on at times. There's things that we squabble with each other at times. But will they know that we're Christians right. by our love? Will they know that we're unified, that we are part of the family of God right. ultimately? You, you two are still brothers. Sure. Right? Yeah,
1: unity is not uniformity. Right. right? That's, yeah, that's the idea. There can be disagreements, there can, but we're all heading towards one purpose uh, together. Yeah. yeah.
0: Actually, Ananias and Sapphira are actually trying to make an argument for uniformity. Mm-hmm. They actually were trying to do the exact same thing that they had saw done by Barnabas, the son of encouragement. They, they were being uniform in doing it, but they were not at yeah. all in it unity with nope. what he was doing. Yeah, well, and on.
2: this is, I mean, this is, the, this is the plight of the Old Testament, right? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mm. Right? You mentioned there's, there's nothing in the Bible that says the church had to do these things. Right. Right? There's nothing in the, in the New Testament that said, that said oh, you, by the way, if you're part of the church, you have to um, sell all the things you own and bring it to the feet, the, the feet of the apostles, right? right. They did it, right. Right? but they did it not with mercy. Right. Right? They, they did it for whatever reasons they have.
0: Right. Entirely you know, and if I can
2: kind of put a, a, a contemporary analogy. Uh-oh, right? look out. Uh, <laughs> 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 right, they will know we are Christians by our love. I used to have a T-shirt that said they will know we are Christians by our t-shirts, yeah. right? Because we had a Christian t-shirt, right? That was, I, could, I can, I can yeah. witness to the world with my Christian t-shirt, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, tongue-in-cheek. But now it's, you know, I can, you know, um, they will know we are Christians by what we post on
0: Facebook. Yeah, by our hashtag, yeah.
2: Or what we don't post, you know? Yeah, Maybe right. they won't know you're a Christian by what you put yeah. on Facebook, right? You know, yeah. um, it kind of goes either way. But again, um, just thinking through that and, yeah. and how, we, how we represent Christ, it's yeah. important in this
0: yeah. world, you know? It sure is. It, when you look here, and you just see how the apostles respond. It, again, they are seeing something incredible happen, right? The Holy Spirit is moving through. Um, they, they are using what God is bringing them through the, the gifts of people. Um, I feel the responsibility, just reading this again, of, of the, the generosity of our congregation, when people give, of how important that was, uh, that they bring it before the feet of the apostles, and the apostles are to then be good stewards and take that and do You know, what they need to do with it. Um, And again, what you're going to see here, uh, we've already experienced it in uh, this book, uh, but we're going to continue to see it throughout the book of Acts, is that this is not just one group of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they'll know you're Christians by your love. You'll be unified with people you would never be unified with. You know, you, you see this comparison, the Jews and Gentiles are put together in the conversation. We, we look in the Gospels and Jesus talks about the Samaritan, uh, the good Samaritan, like even those two words together, good and Samaritan together, that doesn't fit except for the unity that we find in Jesus Christ. Anything else you want to add to that?
1: Yeah, no, I think that that's, the, that's good. And I, I've, we talked about this in the first service, the idea of, well, how come... How come Ananias and Sophia got it right? It's because we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of times where we're not generous and we're not—we're uh, stingy. We we hold things back, and uh, I think that's one of the things that a question that comes out of this passage is: Was, was God just grumpy on that day? Yeah. You know, and I think for some of it is when you're setting the stage right at the beginning, you have to be a little firmer. Uh, this is the same with anything. When you start something new, you're a little more staunch. You're a little more like, "This is what we're gonna do." And then, but, and, and it gets into the Bible so that we yep. can read it, so we can know uh, when we're not generous, it, it it's such a black eye on uh, our witness to yep. the world, and when we're not unified, it's such a black eye uh, to, then we become just like everybody else, and and we don't have that uh, distinguishing uh, God sent on us, and yeah, then the world doesn't know it all. So, you know, when I read this, I go, okay, you know, thank be to God that he has the grace that... I deserve the same thing they did. Yeah. and uh, But I know that there's a spiritual death happening when uh, when we're not generous. It calls us to action on
0: that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think that there's— Fortunately, in the, in the beginning part of that passage, it says that that God showed great favor and or grace, depending on your mm-hmm. translation. Uh, he's showing grace to almost all of them, right? But Ananias and Sapphira. Like, they just—again, you talked about this, that they lied— tried to lie through the Holy Spirit. Like yeah. that the Spirit knows yeah. uh, the condition of their heart and they were unrepentant about it. And so um, as we look at that, we are asking God for grace mm-hmm. and for favor in our own lives because we are equally uh, guilty of, of this. Um, thank you, Lord, that mm-hmm. again, that your judgment, that God's judgment uh, doesn't come down on us every day all the time because certainly we, we deserve, deserve it. it. Mm-hmm. That, that's what actual judgment looks like. Um, but we are calling out for God's grace again and again. Amen. Amen, Mario says. All right, good. <laughs> all right, good. Well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to close this in prayer. Uh, if, if, uh, Mario, you're going to lead us in a song in just a moment. Let me, let me pray for us here. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, as we look at it this morning, Lord, I pray it would be an encouragement to us to live our lives uh, in grace and in truth as we read in the book of Philippians, Lord, as, as we just think through uh, the story that you're telling all the way through Scripture, ag- again and again and again, there are people who are squabbling with one another we, we have the murmuring of the Israelites in the wilderness we have all through the kingdoms that they just keep turning their back uh lord and then we see it here even as the church is starting to come together the church that you uh, gave your life for uh lord that you put us on a mission for to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth we still are fulfilling that mission and lord in that uh, you have called us uh to be one and so we pray that we would be unified together in this this morning. And, and coming from all different backgrounds, Lord, coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds, coming from different ethnic backgrounds, coming from all types of different generational backgrounds, all of these things, Lord, they, they will know we are Christians by our love. Lord, we will be one when we are unified in you. So I pray, Lord, that, that we will be part of what you prayed for there in the garden, that the world may know Jesus. Uh, that we can share and, and, and be a light for you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.